Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. For a lot of answers about who's behind the death of the news as we once knew it and what you can do about it, I hope you'll consider reading my new bestseller, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Just read the reviews on Amazon. You won't be disappointed. Today, I'm digging into one of the most important stories of our time, the effort to control the information we can access online. You already know there's an epic information battle underway on the news and online. Big tech companies and organizations are controlling the free flow of information and they get to decide what they're going to tell you is legitimate or accurate, even though they often either have no way to know or they're completely mistaken, but they're putting forth a particular side or a narrative. I think the control and manipulation of our information is so serious and potentially dangerous that I'm taking a special look at it in a two-part investigation on the upcoming episode of Full Measure, which will air Sunday, January 10th. And we take a look at the issue with the help of a whistleblower, a former Google insider named Zachary Voorhees, who worked at YouTube and Google, Google owns YouTube, in the 2016 time period when Donald Trump got elected. And what he said was that things were pretty good at Google and YouTube, until the Trump win, and then he noticed the company, he says, took a really hard turn, kind of went off the rails, and decided, as he put it, that they were going to abandon their normal liberal principles, which really should stand for freedom of information and freedom of expression. And instead, he describes them going toward an authoritarian sort of management of their products and services that so many people use. So, I asked him in the story that will be airing on Sunday how this change that he saw manifested itself, how he discovered it, when he first noticed it. And he said really the first week after Donald Trump won the election, Google had their regular weekly all-hands meeting, which apparently they called TGIF. And at the meeting, he says, the chief financial officer of Google broke down into tears as she told the story of previously communicating with the New York office about how they were going to lose the election, they meaning the people who don't support Donald Trump, the people who apparently supported Hillary Clinton instead. And Voorhees says that on the same call, the all-hands meeting, the founder, Sergey Brin, said that he was personally offended by the election of Trump, and the CEO, Sundar Pichai, said that One of the most successful things that Google had done in the election was to apply machine learning 
in order to hide fake news. Now remember, let me take you back four years. The term fake news only started getting used around September of 2016. You may think that phrase has always been around because it's been so ubiquitous since. I actually traced in my second book, The Smear, how that term fake news was used, created as a propaganda term initially by the left, quite frankly, in its popular form, created by a nonprofit called First Draft that happened to be, when I looked into it, funded by Google, whose parent company was Alphabet, whose CEO at the time, Eric Schmidt, was a big, big, big supporter and donor of Hillary Clinton. And they're the ones that came up with this push to identify and stop what they wanted us to think of as fake news. And of course, all the examples they gave early on in this time period were examples of conservative fake news. They didn't see any problem on the other side, either liberal fake news or nonpartisan fake news. It was all seen through a political lens, and the conservatives were the enemy in their view. So again, I've talked about this if you want to read more about it in my last book, The Smear. But here they are using the term and talking about fake news and what to do shortly after Trump is elected. And it wasn't just at Google. Ten days after Trump was elected, there we were at Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg announcing efforts that were really unheard of before this time period. Facebook said it was going to begin judging and rating news organizations in terms of trustworthiness and attaching warning labels to some of the content. Now, again, this is something that worries me. It's now become such a part of our daily lives, these fake fact checks, as I call them, and warning labels and ratings. It's easy to forget that this is something that was put before us just a couple of short years ago by powerful political and corporate interests who want to manipulate and shape the information landscape. We at the time, prior to 2016, you could do a search and see there was nobody in the public demanding that people come in and fact check our fake news and get between us and our information and censor it and tell us what to believe and what not to believe and curate it for us. People weren't demanding that. There was a demand or a perception for a demand created by the powerful interests that wanted us to invite them into that equation as they've inserted themselves today so that they could come between us and our information so that they could shape it. And who is behind this effort to get Facebook to change its ways? By the way, another thing they did in the time period was change how trending topics work. Another whistleblower has spoken out about this. No longer were the trending topics organically trending topics that people were talking about. No, that they were now deciding what they would make a trending topic. Even if it was not popular at the time, they would insert it into their trending module. And some things that were popular or trending, they would remove from the trending module. So it was all becoming artificial. Well, it turns out that the liberal propaganda group Media Matters, founded by Hillary Clinton supporter David Brock, you may remember David Brock was the conservative smear artist turned liberal smear artist. He's also discussed at length as well as his organizations in my last book, The Smear. But anyway, Media Matters and David Brock took credit for being the ones that convinced Facebook in 2016 to take these drastic new steps where they were going to start getting between us and our information and telling us as if they know who to believe and 
which news organizations are trustworthy and which stories are true and which are not, even when they have no way to know. Well, within days of Trump's inauguration in January of 2017, this whole strategy was outlined in a confidential memo to donors by Media Matters, along with some of its affiliates, and there are many of them. They're organized under a lot of different names, and they give the impression that a lot of different groups and people and groups that sound like maybe they're nonpartisan watchdog groups, that they're all on the same page when it comes to what's news and what's real. Well, in fact, they're all really connected or under the same umbrella as Media Matters, including this memo that was penned by Media Matters and American Bridge and Crew, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, and Share Blue, all of them related to Media Matters. And the memo stated, this again was for donors to read, Media Matters donors, that Media Matters was a partner of Facebook and other big tech players to crack down on online information. Facebook, according to the quote in this document, needed our help, Media Matters said, in fully understanding the problem and identifying concrete solutions. The document from Media Matters went on to say, quote, we've been engaging with Facebook leadership behind the scenes to share our expertise. The goal was to convince Facebook to adjust its model. And Media Matters also said it lobbied Google to cut off access to revenue, in other words, use the power of the purse, of 40 of the worst fake news sites. Well, you might ask yourself, who gets to decide which are the worst fake news sites? That's a very good question. And that really is sort of the heart of all of this. In this case, it was Media Matters helping Facebook decide which were the worst fake news sites. Then there was a leaked internal video showing around this time frame the CEO of Google's YouTube, Susan Wojcicki, discussing their new approach. She talked about before her audience, her internal audience, that we're pushing down the fake news and demoting it and increasing authoritative news and promoting it. Here again, you might be asking yourself, what makes Google's YouTube, whether it's the CEO or people they're consulting, what makes them think they're the arbiter of all things authoritative and true when these things are in dispute and matters of opinion? But they don't act like there's any question. They treat it as though there is one way to go. They know the way that it is, and that's that. Susan Wojcicki of YouTube went on to say that they were working with Google News to define what reputable sources are. Hmm, wonder how that process works. So... I asked the whistleblower, the former insider, Zach Voorhees, about the notion that, hey, cracking down on fake news sounds like a good thing. So what raised red flags about that in his mind? And he claims that he was really fairly apolitical, but he started looking at their design documents because he said Google's a pretty open company and this stuff was he was able to find. And he said he started to notice a lot of interesting common factors that what they were calling fake news, the things they were using as examples, were a lot of things that reflected negatively on Hillary Clinton. And he started to think to himself, is this really fake news? There seems to be a political tilt 
to what they're deciding to censor. And he started to look at what the basis of this was, and he found a project, he says, that was called Machine Learning Fairness. So in the story, the interview that you're going to see that I did with Zach Voorhees on Sunday, I asked him what machine learning fairness describes, and he talks about that being a form of artificial intelligence that pretty much was designed, he says, to re-rank the entire internet by making machine learning, as this one document that he has says, intentionally human-centered to intervene for fairness. What does that look like when you're basically re-ranking the internet and conducting machine learning to intervene for fairness? So I asked Zach Voorhees, is he trying to say that the evidence, the instructions that Google gave its program or machine on how to flag fake news, is he saying this was designed to be unfair or in favor of liberal interests over conservative interests? And he kind of rejected the label liberal and conservative because he said he really feels like Google is more totalitarian or authoritarian than liberal in its leanings right now. And he said, yes, there's evidence that this is exactly what they've done because when you go to news.google.com or you type in a Google search, you know, when it starts to fill something out for you, a search suggestion, taking the cues from maybe the first word or the first part of the phrase that you type, he said it was always being directed when it was political toward anti-Trump sentiment. And he says that's no accident. The reason that was the case is because they were using this training of something called classifiers with people who were highly biased. And at the same time, Voorhees says Google was working on a form of social reconstruction online to correct what it saw as algorithmic unfairness. What is algorithmic unfairness, you may ask? Well, Google saw this as any sort of algorithm that reinforces existing stereotypes. And so he gives an example in my story coming up in my interview with him. And he said, Google asked the question, could objective reality be algorithmically unfair? In other words, could the truth somehow be considered algorithmically unfair? And Google's answer to that, he said, was yes. And the example they gave was, let's say you're doing a search for chief executive officers, CEOs, and Google returns a lot of images primarily of men. Well, even if that reflects objective reality that most CEOs at the time are men, Google says that can still be considered algorithmically unfair. And therefore, it justifies Google intervening with some kind of project product that it's programmed in order to fix this. And he says that was happening at Google, and that's why you can go into Google search, and I did this, by the way, you can do it too, and you can just type in the search bar, men can, and you'll see the Google suggest for autocompletes. And it was saying things like, and still does, men can have babies, men can have periods, men can get pregnant. And then he pointed out that when you do the same thing for women, women can, 
Instead, you get results on Google that say things like women can get drafted, women can do anything. And he argues that this was an inversion of stereotypes that they were really trying to promulgate. And not just making men and women equal, he says they were trying to reverse the gender roles because that's what they think amounted to an algorithmically fair search engine. Now, during all of this, as Voorhees was making these observations after the Trump election, he says Google also began organizing anti-Trump activism, at least some Google employees, through its email list, resistatgoogle.com. And in there, it talks about how to protest effectively, what kind of chants to chant at a protest, what kinds of things to bring, and how to be effective. So around June of 2019... After Voorhees is observing all of this stuff, the next presidential campaign starts gearing up. And by now, he'd been at Google for about eight years, and he decided to resign and blow the whistle because he really thought Google was attempting, in its own way, a coup on President Trump. More on this story after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. Partisan pundits, analysts, and anonymous sources fill news space, leaving little room for facts. The line between opinion and fact has disappeared. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I reveal the struggles inside newsrooms where journalism used to rule. For the first time, dozens of current and former top national news executives, producers, and reporters give insider accounts speaking with shocking candor about our industry's devolution. Buy Slanted today for yourself or as a holiday gift for someone you care about anywhere. We're back, and I'm continuing my discussion about my full measure cover story investigation that you can see on January 10th, either on television, on your local station, or you can watch replays at fullmeasure.news online, fullmeasure.news, pretty much any time after the program airs Sunday, maybe after about 11 o'clock Eastern time in the morning, you can find these segments at fullmeasure.news. I think this is such an important topic because there are so many powerful corporate and political interests working to control and shape our information landscape. First, it was the news, but then in my view, and as I write about in my new book, Slanted, they saw in 2016 that people could still get access to independent and off-narrative information online, and they could see or we could see 
viewpoints and hear from people and read studies that these powerful interests didn't want us to read because they're not in their best interest. So they set about trying to figure out how they could control everything online so that we can't easily access all the information we want to see. They don't really want us to easily find and believe information that's contrary to their interests, so they figured out how to controversialize it, fake fact check it and say that it's untrue, censor it so that we can't see it at all. And the roots of a lot of these efforts can be found in the 2016 time period, as I've described, moving into the 2020 election. Tens of millions of dollars have poured into these efforts to fact check and apply labels and shape our information landscape behind the scenes. It's always very interesting when you follow the money. A lot of answers can be found there. But remember I told you that Zach Voorhees, who was a Google insider at the time, told us that his bosses at Google were devastated by President Trump's unexpected victory. And remember I told you that not only is big tech one of the top, if not the top donor, such as Google and Alphabet, to Hillary Clinton, but also, by the way, was for Bernie Sanders and was a top donor to Joe Biden, not so much a friend to Donald Trump, does not appear among the top donors to his campaign. And in 2016, then CEO of Google's parent company, Alphabet, was Eric Schmidt, the major donor and volunteer for Hillary Clinton. Then Google had started this nonprofit called First Draft that came up with all of these ideas about fake news And now First Draft is considered an authority that works with colleges and universities and news organizations around the globe telling us how to sort through fake news. But its roots are in big tech and these political interests that were supporting Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden. But beyond the political activism, big tech was just stepping up all kinds of control over public information building to the 2020 election. When coronavirus hit, this is a perfect example. I don't know if you remember, but Google actually announced that it would be directing searches people were conducting on Google about coronavirus to the World Health Organization page. Now, the World Health Organization, or who as they call it, WHO, is the same group that's criticized, in fact, was even criticized by the left-leaning New York Times for letting China take charge when it came to the coronavirus response or dictating what the World Health Organization was all about. And the World Health Organization was criticized by many, including some on the left, for praising China, the communist nation, in its response where the pandemic reportedly started. There was really nothing to praise. We we figured out in the long run, but in the beginning, who was saying nice things about China. And then came, of course, the mask disaster, Remember taking cues from that initial public health guidance around March? Uh, Many were declaring that face masks were not effective, and there came Facebook banning ads selling medical face masks. Again, this shows the inherent problem with unqualified people or really anybody stepping in in the information flow and claiming to know ultimate truth when they don't or may not because if public health experts are now correct, They've done a turnabout on masks, so it was Facebook and the fact checks about masks last spring that spread misinformation and theoretically cost lives because we were told, don't wear them, don't try to, you're not patriotic if you do, you're being selfish. 
And then there was the big turnaround. And World Health Organization was responsible for significant amounts of incorrect information, some of it by their own admission. They produced information that wasn't true or accurate. And yet Google has made the choice to direct searches to this body beyond maybe other sources that could have proven actually to be more accurate on some of these topics. But by big tech intervening, often prodded by special interests to do so, they've sort of interfered with the process of our research and our information finding in a way that turned out not to be helpful and often is not helpful except in advancing a particular narrative. By one count, when I looked it up, fact check groups, these are groups that I think are often bent on trying to advance a particular narrative and keep us from learning other information or believing it. The number of fact check groups more than quadrupled over five years from 44 to 195. This has become a multi-million dollar industry. And of course, it stands to benefit certain interests depending on how the fact checks shake down. That's obvious. And there's this sort of circular money changing hands because Facebook and Google, they do fact checks and they rely on certain groups for fact checks. And they've also become major funders of news organizations who now rely on Facebook and Google. And then Facebook and Google rely on them to do their fact checks. And they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars, big tech has, on these efforts. So at an interesting hearing... Last year, Republican Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina, questioned Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, kind of what we asked in the last segment, who gets to determine for Facebook what's true? Who do they rely on? And Graham asked the question, and Zuckerberg named these organizations that he called independent. And here's the irony. Obviously, they're not independent, and either Zuckerberg is so ignorant of how things work that he doesn't know or he's just pretending to think they're independent. But he named the groups they rely on for their fact checks are groups accredited by the Pointer Institute, Pointer Institute, not independent. And the groups include, he said, Reuters, the Associated Press, Agence France Press, United States, USA Today, factcheck.org, Science Feedback, PolitiFact, Check Your Fact, lead stories, and the dispatch in the United States. So if you've done any little bit of digging, you see problems with that just right off the top because Facebook's list of trusted sources is rife with conflicts of interest. Pointer Institute's PolitiFact has received millions of dollars, for example, from groups that do things like support, quote, reimagining capitalism, And these are groups that want to count illegal immigrants in the U.S. Census that are supporting the Pointer Institute's PolitiFact. And a group that wants to change presidential elections in the United States from the electoral voting system to a popular vote. And it was kind of interesting when I started digging around about the funding. There are a lot of groups in the background of all of this who are pushing to do away with our normal electoral voting system. I didn't realize that was such a well-funded movement. I'll be looking into that probably for a future episode of Full Measure. But one of these groups that I'm talking about that funds the fact checks is Democracy Fund. And Democracy Fund, in addition to these other controversial causes that it 
is an activist group for. It's a major funder of anti-Trump political efforts. And it gave PolitiFact about $900,000. So again, the people funding the fact checks and the fact check organizations are groups that have very specific political agendas. Also, $1.3 million for PolitiFact came from the left-leaning George Soros Open Society Foundations and the Omidyar Network. Again, these are all groups that are activist groups, and you may agree with their political activism, but the point is they come from a very specific viewpoint. They are not neutral or fair, or one could theorize not at all interested in a fair fact check on those issues they care about. Surely they want the fact check or they believe the facts come down on one side, their way. And I doubt they would want to be giving a lot of money to a fact check body that didn't see things their way. Of course, Pointer and other fact check groups insist that their fact checking is independent and that the donors have no influence. I can only tell you how it works in the news world. Even when we like to say that certain advertisers and factors don't influence our news, trust me, we know who butters the bread. We end up, and I've written about this in my previous books, we often end up self-censoring because we understand who the interests are that fund us. So people don't always have to tell us what to do and what not to do. We kind of know. Another one of Facebook's trusted sources, according to Mark Zuckerberg, is that group called Science Feedback. And Science Feedback, in fact, was used to discredit a documentary that looked into the alleged coronavirus links to the lab in Wuhan, China. Science Feedback said, according to Facebook, this is not true and this documentary should be debunked. By the way, the documentary never made any conclusions. It just looked into the evidence and presented various theories and they had some emails documents. They interviewed people in China. It was quite well done, but we were told this was fake news. Science Feedback told us that, and Facebook told us that. But it turns out, I dug into this at the time, Science Feedback, who are they? Well, they relied on, for their feedback, a U.S. scientist, get this, who worked at the Wuhan lab to discredit the discussion or talk about the coronavirus perhaps coming from the Wuhan lab. Of course, that's not told to you when the documentary is discredited on Facebook. You're just told it's not true because someone that Facebook trusts has said it's not true. You're not told that they're relying on a scientist with a conflict of interest who works at the lab. And then if you look at science feedback, and by the way, a lot of these sites that have sciencey sounding names are actually the opposite of what they seem to be. They're promulgating certain views. Sometimes they're unscientific views or scientifically slanted views. Science feedback takes very firm positions if you look at their website, siding with climate change advocates, obviously taking one side, an advocacy position. And also, interestingly, as Media Matters does, takes some kind of special interest in the vaccine industry and trying to make sure that people only see one side No safety problems, don't ask safety questions. All vaccines must be considered safe and effective for everybody at all times, or people are to be, and scientists who ask questions are to be controversialized, almost like the pharmaceutical industry is backing them. So 
anyway, science feedback is not, from what I can see, a neutral group. They have very specific positions they advocate for, and yet they're doing fact-checking for Facebook. What about the news organizations that Zuckerberg said that they rely on to fact-check? I mean, this is where, I, I don't even know if I have to describe this to you because I think you see the inherent problem with this. The news organizations they name or they think are reliable, I think in some cases can't be seen as any more reliable, if as reliable, than some of the entities and stories that they're fact-checking. Collectively, they've made plenty of their own reporting errors. I've counted these and documented them by number in the appendix of my new book, Slanted, and it's also at my website, CherylAckeson.com. If you search on their media mistakes, you'll find some of these by news outlets that still so many people in the fact-check business seem to claim are credible and qualified to fact-check others, but they've made some of the biggest mistakes in news in the past four years themselves. For example, USA Today, who uh, Facebook relies on, misreported on Melania Trump's immigration status in a story a couple of years ago and falsely quoted Trump, by the way, as saying that Turkey invading Syria was not our problem. That was a misquote, not true. Agence France Press, another one that Facebook relies on, they claim, for example, in a story that 100,000 migrant children were in detention under Trump, but it turns out Agence France Press had actually used an old figure from 2015 under Obama. Associated Press, they make mistakes all the time. Here are just a couple of examples. They had an article saying media trust had fallen under Trump, the way people view the media, implying that this was Trump's fault. But it turns out that they had mistakenly quoted an old poll about media trust that was actually done under President Obama. AP also was among those who incorrectly reported that conservatives funded the anti-Trump dossier that the FBI used um, improperly and incorrectly to get a wiretap against a former Trump campaign associate. Again, AP saying conservatives funded this effort when it was actually the Clinton campaign and Democrats who funded it. And among other mistakes, AP wrongly reported that Trump's pick for CIA director at the time, Gina Haspel, had waterboarded and mocked a terrorist dozens of times, but it turns out she wasn't even there. So the notion that these groups sit in judgment of what's real and what's accurate and what's truthful is a little bit problematic. As for our whistleblower, Zach Voorhees, the Google insider, he said his tipping point when he was working at Google, when he wanted to come forward was when he heard Google CEO Sundar Pichai tell Congress in testimony that the company doesn't blacklist websites. In fact, in a line of questioning, Pichai was telling Congress that they don't manually intervene on any particular search result. You get what you get. They're not making things happen a certain way. But Voorhees says when he saw that, he calls it a lie. He said that he knew for a fact they were using Blacklist. They even had a document that was called Blacklist. Voorhees resigned from Google and blew the whistle on this. And about the same time, by the way, there was another former insider named Mike Wacker who also said the same thing, that Google was using Blacklist. So 
That prompted what I call a command performance of Google's CEO before Congress. He was called back and asked, well, you said there weren't blacklists and there was no manual intervention in search results, but how does that square with what we hear from these insiders? And this was actually Representative Gates asking the question of Pichai of Google. And Pichai acknowledged that there was manual intervention or a manual component. And Gates accused Pichai of engaging in election interference and using these manual tools to try to sway things in a certain direction. Pichai said that's not true and that they don't have any sort of political viewpoint. Now, I asked more than once for interviews from Facebook's Zuckerberg, Google's Pichai, Twitter's Jack Dorsey. I really wanted to get their viewpoints. There's always another side to a story. There are always many views to be heard, but none of them wanted to talk with us for the story. In testimony to Congress, they all have vigorously defended their practices, saying that they're simply responding to calls to stop dangerous misinformation and fake news. Now, in their defense, I will say, yes, they are being lobbied by members of Congress, by political interests, by corporate interests, by media matters. They're being told they have to do something. And so they are being pushed and pulled. I think probably in the final analysis, their flaw was going along with it. Because prior to 2016, the big tech companies didn't show any great interest in censoring our information or manipulating and shaping our information. There were problems with tracking and privacy issues, but you don't see a whole bunch of stories on how they were shaping and censoring and labeling. And the second they started agreeing to do that, succumbing to the pressure or the interests who wanted them to do that, they kind of started going down a slippery slope. How can they make everybody happy? They have some saying you're not censoring enough. You're not censoring enough people fairly. You're only doing one side. Probably the answer would be for them to step back and say, we don't interfere or censor anything except that which is illegal. We give you, the user, tools so that you can sort through the stuff that you do and don't want to see, but we don't need to do that for you. But instead, they're really heavy-handed with this, and they're being lobbied actually by Democrats to take more steps, and even by some Republicans to do more censorship of the Democratic line. So again, I think it's sort of a slippery slope. And this leads to the topic of whether they, meaning big tech, should have to give up some legal immunity that they have from lawsuits under provision of law called Section 230. Should they have to give that up because of the practices that they engage in now? And I think there's all kinds of potential problems with even that. So if you want to see more about all of this and also hear from some experts that I haven't discussed in this podcast, I hope you will catch the whole story and hear from Zach Voorhees himself Sunday, January 10th, in our Full Measure Special Investigation. Again, you can catch us on demand or live on our app, STIRR, S-T-I-R-R. You can go to fullmeasure.news after we air on television on Sunday, maybe around 11 in the morning, and you can see these segments posted for free for you to see anytime, fullmeasure.news. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you will consider 
sharing the podcast with your friends, leave a great review and subscribe to Full Measure After Hours. If you like the things that we talk about, you will also certainly like my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast. Check it out too. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.